Good morning, I am Jeremy Pleasant. I'm the senior pastor here. I just want to welcome you. I'm glad you're here. Last week, we started uh, this series on communion and uh, called Come to the Table. And it's something that uh, I'm, I'm really excited about and I'm really glad we're doing over these next few weeks. And um, in this season of, of Lent, um, I, I want to be able to take this opportunity to, to like look at you know, some of the traditions of the church and like be able to, to say, hey, how can, we, how can we go beyond the tradition and like really look at what God has for us today um, um, in our lives and in, in the life of our church and our families and, and, just, and just really pursue that. Um, it's, it's, really, it's really funny because I, I like looking at the things that like Jesus like prescribed for the church and like, you know, you think about, when you think about the church, like the biggest things are like Christmas and Easter, right? But it's funny because none of those are like biblically, biblical practices or celebrations. Like they're not. They're awesome. I love Christmas. I love Easter. I'm not killing Christmas. <laughs> but they're not actually like commands in the Bible, like practice this day. But communion is. There's only a couple things that Jesus like commanded the church, and one of them is communion. And so as we, as we dive into it this this. This, these next few weeks, um, I, I want us to not only like take communion a little bit more often, but actually be able to um, experience the very face of God in the middle of it, and and uh, and, and kind of see His face as we as as we enter in the season and, and as we continue to walk with Him. Uh, and so I want you to, I want I want to invite you to dive in these next several weeks as we rediscover the power and the passion of communion and the in-depth experience with God and, and the impact it has on our lives. Um, one thing I talked about last week was that one of our core values of our church, um, both this one and around the world, is that we believe in experiencing God. You know, we believe in reading, you know, reading scripture is important, learning the Bible is important, you know, coming to church and do all the things that are important, but we're, but but that's only a part of it. And that we believe that actually a, 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 an in-depth, uh, a real-life experience with the God who created this wonderful earth, with the God who just, who just loves us so deeply, with, like, with this God that is just so much bigger than ourselves, is really important. Because it brings those words on paper to life. And it brings us purpose and fulfillment that can't come anywhere else. And so we really believe in experiencing God. And, and so often in the vineyard and, and, and in many churches of kind of the, <coughs> the, the, kind of the Protestant non-denominational flavor, most churches experience God in musical worship. And I love that. Absolutely. I'm a musician. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not knocking that. I think that's super important. But I also think that we've also kind of, restricted ourselves and say, yeah, this is how we experience God is, is through musical worship. And, and I want to kind of open up the gates a little bit and say, hey, what if there's more ways that God is calling us to experience him and, 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 and to see his face and, and maybe um, we, can, we can have that in communion. And so that's why we're doing this series in, in kind of our second week. And um, the other thing, as we go through this series, we're going to engage in three ways. We're going to engage in understanding, application, and experience. Jesus said one of the greatest commandments is to love the Lord your God with all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And so we're going to use our mind to understand. So there's going to be some teaching. 
because we have to get some understanding around this practice and, and, and why it's important. There's going to be some application, so we're going to use our strength to be able to apply it in our lives and be able to apply it in with, in with everything that's going on. And then we're going to, in our soul, have an experience that actually lets us experience a life with the Creator. And so we want to go through all three, understanding, application, and experience. <coughs> last week, um, kind of the last thing I want to talk about from last week, because it's really important, I said the first and most important thing in communion is being able to be loved and embrace that love of God. Everything else that comes after that is distorted if we don't understand the love of God and being accepted in that, in the communion. And so if you missed that, I want to encourage you to go check it out online um, after, after today um, because these are going to be tied together. And just as we kind of take each step, just, just, I just want you to know that like that is first and foremost. And so today, and, and um, as I mentioned before, you know, our, our practical tips and like the whole slides are online now, so you can go to vineyardbr.org slash practice, and they're always going to be there and you, so you can check them out as, as you're going through stuff and just kind of have a reference point. Um, but today... In part two of, of this series, we're going to talk about finding redemption at the table. Uh, a while ago, we talked about, and like several months ago, we talked about the grand narrative of the Bible. You know, through all of its sections and chapters, the Bible was really one story that's broken up into four chapters. Those four chapters are creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And I'm going to quickly review them because it's an important part in understanding redemption that we're talking about today and in understanding the communion. See, often we only talk about the fall and, and, and talk about redemption, but we can't, make, we can't make sense of redemption in the fall without first understanding creation. First understanding that the beauty and wonder that God created was his original plan his original intention, his original design, his original desire was just for things to be whole and beautiful and perfect. I mean, if you just look at the Psalms as they account, as they recount creation, I mean, the psalmist just, just can't get enough of it. It's just like, like the stars and the sun and the moon, like everything you did was so wonderful and perfect and how you always wanted it to be. And we have to understand that because that is the heart of God. And, and, and if we miss that, it's easy to misunderstand a lot of the things that have happened since in Scripture if we don't understand that first. And so after creation, <coughs> the second chapter is, is the fall, where the world gets broken, where humanity gets broken, and evil makes a mark. And, you know, it's not hard to look at the world around us and see how far it's fallen you know, even this week, you know, and how humanity is, 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 is bound by, by sin and death. And the key word here is, is bound. People are enslaved. They're captive. That's what Scripture teaches us. It's beyond our control. We need someone to break the chains off us. Now, I'm not excusing every bad thing that has happened. Yeah, there's choice and, and free will. But when your entire context is death and darkness, that choice and free will has chains on it. Does it not? I think one of, the, one of my favorite scriptures, and, and I think it is for, for many, many Christians, I love what Paul says, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I know I'm supposed to do. It's just like, 
No one has like described the state of fallen humanity better than that. I do what I don't want to do and I, I don't do what I know I'm supposed to do. What's funny is what comes after. But by the grace of God, I'm free. And so we're going to talk about that freedom and that redemption. And that's the third chapter of, of, of God's story is redemption. See, God wasn't looking for people who were perfect so he could be pleased. That is not the heart of God. And often that's what we take when we look at the, the Old Testament. That's not what he's saying and that's not what happened. He has forever desired for his world to be made whole. And his love is just too great to let us just sit in the mess that we were in. He's been redeeming and rescuing people since the moment we fell and has ever since. The redemption in Jesus brought a rescue for the entire world. And we've been seeing that redemption play out for the last 2,000 years in amazing ways. I mean, you look at the last 2,000 years and you're like, man, the world has changed because of the redemption that Jesus brought. I can't remember what I was reading, but, but I remember this quote by, by the president um, of the Harvard Law School. He said, I am not a Christian, but Jesus Christ is the most significant person in human history. <laughs> like, that's a powerful statement because the world changed. After those few years on earth, the world changed. His redemption was real. And that redemption is available for us. The first story of God's redemption happened in the Exodus. You know, I, I talked about the Exodus last week, and, 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 I, and I talked about it this week. And, and the reason why we, come back, we keep coming back to it is because this story represents so much of our walk with God and how he wants things to be. It's important because after the Exodus, Israel remembered that, and they had a celebration to remember that. And so as the prophets started to come out towards the end of the, of the Old Testament, they, they, were promis- they, were, they were promising a Messiah, and they were expecting this Messiah to bring in the new Exodus. And so if you think about it, like Exodus happened, Israel was freed, and, and, and so they remember that freedom. They remember what it was like to be enslaved for generations, for over 400 years. And then they're like, yes, we are free. And they remember it and they celebrate it. And then as things happened in their nation, there was a promise that they'd be free once again. And so it's important because when Jesus came, Israel at that time was expecting Messiah but they expect that Messiah to start the next exodus. We benefit from that, and what I hope is that we can partake in those benefits, partly through communion. And just as we benefit from that, it's our responsibility to free others with the love and power of Christ. And so I want to explain that because the thing about redemption is we are redeemed, but we often aren't able to actually be redeemed. It's like this. It's like if, if someone left you a trust, you know, of, of, of money, right? It's legally yours. But if you don't know about it, 
Or if you don't go to the, to, to the lawyer's office and fill out the paperwork, it's not in your account yet, right? And in the same way, many of us know that we are redeemed, and we are redeemed, but actually walking in it has been more difficult. And what I want to do is show us how we can walk in our redemption. The thing about the Exodus is that it required a great sacrifice for the Egyptians. The new Exodus also required a great sacrifice, the cross. The death of Jesus was a final act to give us our freedom. Jesus was fully innocent, but died as if he committed high treason. He died to bring us our freedom. Now, some might wonder here why it had to happen this way. And that's a great question with a super long answer. And so uh, if that's something where you're like, you're really concerned about, meet with me and we'll, and we'll talk more about that. So, but, but as we move forward, though, I mentioned that after the Exodus, Israel would celebrate it, right? They would remember it. They did this in an event called the Passover. And so just for a minute, I want to explain the Passover celebration. It's going to be important to understand this. Okay, and so the Passover celebration is celebrated to this day by our Jewish brothers and sisters. And so uh, I, I want to explain it because it's going to be really important moving forward. And so what they would do is they, they would have this, this celebration, this remembrance and in their home, okay? And generally the, the, the father would... Um, would, would, would sit on the table with the entire family, and there'd be four cups of wine, okay, for the celebration. Four cups. And so they would do the first cup, and they'd have the first cup, and they would give, and, and, the, and the father would give a blessing over the meal, okay? And so, and then they would take the first cup of wine. And so the thing about the Passover is that um, it was actually quite uh, liturgical. And so they would say statements that would be repeated back by the family. And so, you know, there, there is a kind of a precedence for, for, for liturgy in the church. And so uh, they'd have that first cup, and then they'd, have, they'd go to the second cup after the blessing. And in the second cup, they would proclaim Scripture. They would talk about, they, they would recount the Exodus. They would remember how God freed them. They would talk about what happened and, and bring to remembrance everyone in the family what happened. And they'd have the second cup of wine and what God had done for them in Egypt. Okay, so we got the first two cups. And then they would go to the third cup. And the third cup, they would eat the meal, <coughs> excuse me, have another blessing, and then have the third cup of wine. Okay? And then we have the fourth cup. And they would recite a psalm of thanksgiving. It was a psalm that was a sacrifice of thanksgiving. And they would recite this psalm and have the fourth cup of wine. Now, those are the four cups. At the Last Supper, when Jesus was with his disciples, they were actually doing the Passover. So the Passover is the same time every year. And so this was the time of year of the Passover, right, when Jesus was dying. And so at the Last Supper, when Jesus, right before Jesus died, they were doing the celebration. They had the first cup. They had the second cup. They had the third cup but they did not have the fourth cup. And it kind of just leaves it there in scripture. And you know, they, they kind of move on, which is really odd. Let's look at John 19, 28. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, 
And so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge, and it put the sponge on the stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. You see that last part where it says that wine vinegar? They put that sponge on the plant. That was the fourth cup. That was the fourth cup of the Passover that Jesus didn't take when he was with the disciples. That was the fourth cup. And so when he took that fourth cup of wine right here, as he died, he was saying, I am your redeemer. It is finished. I have set you free. I am the lamb. And I'm the one that's going to free you. Why is this connection important? If we believe the Exodus story, and we believe that God desires to free his people, and if we know we have things in our life that bind us, then we also believe that at this moment on the cross, that Jesus dying gives us that same freedom. The same freedom that God brought Israel. God brought the Egyptians to their knees. Not a nation, he brought an empire, a world empire to its knees to free his people. And so what in us will he not bring to its knees so that we could be free? And that's what the cross does for us. That's what that fourth cup does for us. It's bring us our freedom. So as we look at the application of what I just laid out, it's interesting that we use the word redemption. It's interesting because redemption implies cost, right? When you redeem a coupon, it, was, it, it covers a cost, right? And this is the application, to look at the cost, to consider the cost to meditate on the cost. Often, I think of the cost of my ancestors, what they endured so that I could be where I am today. And it was a long endurance, and it was a high price they paid. Often, I think of the cost of my parents and grandparents and what they went through just so I could go to college, so I could be well. I think of my brother and father and grandfather who were in the military during World War II, Vietnam and Iraq, the price that they paid. Yet in it all, the cost I consistently must continually meditate on is the cost that Christ paid. While everyone I just mentioned paid a fee for my freedom, my ultimate freedom comes from the fee that Christ paid. And just like everyone I just mentioned would never say that I owe them anything, Christ doesn't require anything except that I love. So as we meditate, as we remember, it's more than a memorial. It's a place of enduring because he has given us the power to endure, just as he did. 
And he gave us the ability to, to endure that creates a character in us. I remember about six years ago, I had a um, pretty bad GI issue. And this was the second day in, I'm in the ER, and I'm writhing in pain that has been going on for hours, for like nine, ten hours at this point, of just unimaginable pain. I'm like pale, like it's, it was bad. And so I'm in the ER, but it's, it's stomach pain, so like, you're like at the bottom of the list, <laughs> right? It's understandable. And so I'm like in the bed, still waiting, and just like, what is happening? Why is this happening? And I'm, our, I'm at uh, Our Lady of the Lake, which is important because I turn over and I see a crucifix. And I'm like, six hours. Six hours he hung in that torture. And all of a sudden, Jesus was there with me in that moment, in my pain. So my question for you is, where have you suffered lately? Where are you suffering now? Can you meet Jesus there as you meditate on the cross? One thing I know is that you can endure and find new character in him because he gets it. He gets it more than we can understand. No one has suffered like he suffered. Meditating on the cross also reminds us that the slate is clean. You know, have you ever felt guilty about something you had done to someone, especially someone you're close to? Like, you just know what that guilt is like? Do you remember how it felt when they decided to forgive you? Like, and just that release you had? The cross wipes the slates clean. Our entire past, our complete future. Meditating on the cross helps us find redemption for ourselves as we remember and accept that we are forgiven. It's one thing to know you are forgiven. It's another thing to be able to actually accept that you are forgiven. For some people, that is one of the hardest things to actually be able to accept it. That's what the cross helps us do. We all carry the weight of wrongs we've committed. And we all get to have that weight removed. And sometimes it happens in layers, right? It's piece by piece. But we get to remove that burden as we meditate on the cross and accept that forgiveness for ourselves. And just imagine being free of that. And as we take the bread and the wine, we can be free of that more and more. As we think about the cross, we can be free of that more and more. <coughs> See, where we are now as kind of in our culture and our society is that it's interesting how we handle guilt, right? Like, no one actually likes to feel guilty, right? I don't know anyone that like likes to be guilty, likes to feel guilty. And so we have a number of ways to not feel guilty today, right? We have a number of ways to, to self-medicate and, and not have to deal with the pain so we don't have to deal with guilt and we don't have to, we don't have to acknowledge it. And look, I've done it. I get it. It's easier that way. But like the, the way kind of our society is, hey, let's just not deal with it, <laughs> right? 
But what if we did? What if we were able to, like, not have to do all of those things so that we don't have to feel that guilt and actually just, like, feel it for a second and then have it removed? Not hidden, not numbed, not covered, but gone. And that's what I want us to be able to do. Not hide it, acknowledge it. And let Christ take it so we're not trying to get something else to. Because he already did. I remember talking to my brother Traven about something I had done. <laughs> and uh, he said, Jeremy, you remember Etch-A-Sketch? It's like, yeah. You know, you draw the little picture, then you shake it, and the picture's gone. He was just like, that's all you got to do. You know, just shake it off like an Etch-A-Sketch. <laughs> Scripture says, as far as the east is from the west, God has forgotten our sins. That we are forgiven. The psalmist says, his mercies are fresh every morning. Every morning we get to wake up, slate clean. We don't have to carry it around. We don't have to hide it. We can let him take it. It doesn't stop here, though. We also need to release others, forgive others. And communion helps us do that. See, it's our human nature which constructs a value to sin or wrongdoing, right? We say this is worse than that. That is worse than this. Often the order of wrong is created by our society. Often it's based on the things we do versus what someone does to us. What they did was far worse than what, they, what I did to them, right? That's what we say. Well, I, well, I don't know. What I did wasn't that bad. What she did was worse, right? That's what we do. It's our nature, like, to, like, put this, to have these, these weights and scales. But focusing on the cost during communion allows us not to keep score. And just as the cross wipes this, our slate clean and we can enjoy that freedom of a burden lifted over and over again, we are to do the same for others through forgiveness. It's not always easy. I get that. Trust me. I know it's not easy. And that's why the power and grace of the cross is necessary because it propels us to walk in forgiveness. Forgiveness. It gives us the ability and the power to forgive those that it's not easy to forgive. It's the power and grace of the cross that we share in during communion that is how we also share in the ability to forgive at the cross where Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. To be able to do, to do it like, like that. You see, when we share in communion, we share in the cross. We share in Calvary. And we're able to share with Jesus and be like him. It gives us that power. We can forgive as we remember this because we can place ourselves in their shoes. We can understand that they are broken just as we are. And we can walk with them in freedom just as we are free.
Now, before we move forward, I want to address something really important. Some of you here have experienced abuse physically, sexually, or, or emotionally at the hands of someone else. I'm not telling you what happened to you is okay or that you should reconcile with that person, nor am I excusing what they did or what happened to you. And scripture isn't saying that either. I want to be super clear about that. And while the, the call to forgive is for all of us, I want you to know that forgiving them doesn't negate or dismiss anything that has happened to you and shouldn't be taken on lightly. I would encourage you to speak with me or someone else in staff to look at a healthy way to work through the trauma you've endured and what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't in your particular context. You see, too often the church has told people who have been abused to just forgive, completely ignoring what they've endured. And that is not what I'm saying, and that is not the heart of God. Because none of it is your fault. And in these situations, your healing is a priority. Okay? We go with that? Scripture teaches us that we are forgiven no matter what. It is in our forgiveness of others that we are able to experience that forgiveness ourselves, that we are able to experience that release of burden. It also helps us to acknowledge our own mistakes because we're not afraid of carrying the burden of acknowledging our own faults, knowing we can find redemption constantly at the table. And so forgiveness is, is, is going to be a lot like breathing, okay? So when you take in a breath of air, you have to release it before you can take in another breath, yes? And in the same way, in order for us, in order for us to continue to experience, like we're forgiven, but to actually receive it and experience it continually, we have to release that air out, forgive someone else before we can take that breath in and that new acceptance of forgiveness and redemption. It's how it works and how, it's how Scripture lays it out for us. And so the fact that we're forgiven, forgiven never changes, but to experience that does call us to release others. You know, it's funny. One of uh, one things I see on TV a lot or, or in movies, you know, these characters who are supposed to be Christian characters and like something really bad happens to them and then at the end of the episode of the movie, they're like, will you ever forgive me? And they're like, only God forgives. And you're like, shut up! No! We're supposed to forgive! <laughs> That's what we're called to do. You know, in the last two, you know, Jesus said that they will know you are my, my they, will, you will, they will know you are my disciples by your love. And in the last 2,000 years, we've seen some amazing things that the church has done out of loving people. Some amazing things. But now, today, in the 21st century, where a lot of those uh, things that, that, that we have, you know, a lot of those, those charities and nonprofits that a lot of that the church started, you know, a lot of it is done by a lot of organizations now, right? A lot of them non-faith-based. And they're doing amazing things. They're doing awesome things. Not knocking them at all. And so now, today, in 2019 and moving forward, you know what I think the church is going to be known for? By its love. 
It's still forgiveness. See, we live in a tit-for-tat world. We live in a world where I'm going to get mine. We live in a world of vengeance and revenge. I think that we will be known as Christians, not on based on what we're against, not based on some policy, but on our love through forgiveness. And that's how we need to be known. Let's look at some practical tips. Spend a moment of each communion these next few weeks meditating on the cross and the cost. Not to create guilt, but to create thanksgiving. Think about it throughout the week. Let it affect your perspective as life happens this week. Like just kind of, you know, everyday life happens. As you like think about this, it will shift your perspective in whatever situation you're in. I guarantee. I guarantee. I remember... Uh, this, this one time, it's a big deal at work. Um, uh, and I got thrown on the bus by somebody for something I didn't do. Like, I just got blamed. And I just, I hate being blamed for something I didn't do. It's just something in me. I just hate it, right? Like, I hate being blamed for something I didn't do. And I, was, and I just remember God saying one time, yeah, I know what that's like. It's like, oh, guess you do. <laughs> it's not that bad. It can change your perspective. Number two. If you are suffering right now, take communion and share your suffering with Christ. He may take it away. He may not. But you won't be alone in it. Number three, choose one person. Oh, you're going to hate this one. Choose one person you want to or need to forgive this season. Who is God bringing to your heart? the previous steps will aid you in this process of forgiveness. As you do this, examine the areas you're looking for forgiveness and knowing you're already forgiven, seek God in communion to be able to experience that. Okay. So we're getting ready to... um, going to ministry time. And, and, and as I mentioned last week, for ministry time for this series is, is we're going to be uh, doing communion. And so we're going to have some musical worship going and the table is open. And so thinking about everything we've, we've talked about today, I want you to invite you to, to take communion. And I also want you to take your time with that. I don't want you to rush through it. I don't want you to like become ceremonial about it, but like really partake in it. And so if you want to take it and, and move to the side so someone else can go, do that. However, whatever that means for you, let's do that. And as I mentioned last week, the table is open no matter who you are or where you are in your journey with God. If you feel compelled and you feel desired, to take this communion, you are welcome. No matter who you are or where you are. The table is open.
So we're going to take these next couple songs and we're going to worship and share in the glory and suffering and redemption of the cross.